Every sound has a story. Every shadow hides a tale. In the whispers of the wind and the silence of the night, secrets await those who listen. This week on Retraced Echoes, In the quiet town of Harrisville, Rhode Island, stands an unassuming farmhouse with a history as dark as the shadows that dance within its walls. This is the story of the Perron family, whose dream of a peaceful life in the country turned into a nightmare that defies explanation. In the early 1970s, the Perrons moved into what they thought was their idyllic home, only to find themselves in the grip of an unseen terror. Previously known as the Old Arnold Estate, which dated back to 1736, harbored not just memories, but restless spirits that whispered of its sinister past. A place where the line between the living and the dead blurred, where each room held a secret and each nightfall brought new terrors. The family's experiences ranged from the mysterious to the downright malevolent, with objects moving of their own accord, eerie apparitions, and chilling encounters that would leave even the bravest souls shaken. Most haunting of all was the presence of Bathsheba, a rumored witch whose spirit was said to loom over the property, casting a shadow of dread and despair. Her legacy intertwined with the parents, leading to encounters that defied logic and challenged the family's very sanity. Join us as we explore the chilling saga of the Perrin family, a tale that inspired the famed Conjuring series, and delve into the heart of a haunting that remains one of the most compelling in paranormal history. Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Just stumbled upon your podcast and I'm already hooked. The Perrin family case should be a fun one. Looking forward to it. Next message. Bert. This is going to be good. The way the land and the house's past connect, how it all intertwines with the family's experiences, is crazy. Looking forward to what should be another fun one. Next message. I love The Conjuring, but it's been forever since I've seen it. Now the question is how much of the movie was made up. Next message. I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and you have really stepped it up the last few. This story is one of my favorites, so I'm sure this will be an instant favorite for me. Welcome back to another episode of Retraced Echoes. As always, I'm your host. My name is Bert, and today we're delving deep into a story that intertwines the ordinary and the extraordinary. It's a story of the Perrin family, a tale probably best known for those of you that watch movies as The Conjuring. Now, the family and the house was just the beginning of the Conjuring series, which came from the stories of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Today's tale, it begins not with ghosts and ghouls, but with a dream. A simple yet powerful dream of a family searching for a haven, a place to call home. Our story is rooted in the early 1970s, time of change, a time of new beginnings. Roger and Carolyn found themselves dreaming of a life away from the hustle and bustle of the city. They dreamed of open spaces for their five daughters to play, a peaceful retreat from the world's chaos. After an eight-month search, the family thought they found the perfect house. It was a massive 14-room farmhouse, boasting 10 bedrooms, and it stood on an expansive 200-acre property. There was an old rustic barn to the left and a gently flowing creek that carved a path through the estate. 
to the Pyrrhans, it was more than just a house. It was a vision of their future, a sanctuary for their daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. The decision was made. With hearts full of hope and every penny in their savings, the Pyrrhans embraced their new beginning. As the seller of the property arrived, he reached out his hand with a key in it. But it wasn't just the key that he gave them. In addition, he gave them a chilling piece of advice. For the sake of your family, keep the lights on at night. It was a simple warning, or perhaps a knowledge of things to come. Now, as I always say, to understand the haunting, you need to understand the history. So what did the Conjuring movie get right? And what did it get wrong about the farmhouse's past? Our journey into the past takes us to 1736. Imagine a world back then, vastly different than our own today. It was in this year that the foundation of the farmhouse was laid, setting stage for generations of people to cross through the doors, each one leaving their imprint. Now originally known as the Dexter Richardson House, named after the first occupants, the properties was a testament to the era's craftsmanship. Now over time it changed hands, eventually becoming known as the old Arnold Estate, a name that would echo through this story all the way until the very end. The Arnold family, one of the early owners, saw the house through eight generations. Think about that for just a second. Eight generations, each with their own stories, each with their own joys and their sorrows. Obviously, not all the tales were happy times. The house, as it turned out, was silent witness to the tragedies that would later fuel the legends and the rumors that surrounded it. Throughout its history, the farmhouse was no stranger to heartache and to loss. Records tell of untimely deaths, some natural and others, well, not so natural, maybe more on the sinister side. The land with its lush fields and gentle creeks saw life and death in equal measures, adding layers of complexity to its character. Now our tale of the farmhouse's past begins with the hanging of Miss John Arnold, who was a matriarch of the Arnold family. At the age of 93, she met a very haunting end, her lifeless body found in the barn. Now this grim scene sets the tone of other unsettling events that would shroud this property. But the tale grows darker still. The land draped in natural beauty was the silent witness to numerous tragedies. Among them, the harrowing story of an 11-year-old Prudence Arnold. Tragically, a farmhand working for the family brutally assaulted and murdered her. And then there was the story of her uncle, Johnny. He chose a tragic fate, ending his life by hanging himself in the attic in the farmhouse. This death, it wasn't an isolated incident. The attic bore witness to other hauntings, unrecorded, but forever part of the family's sombering lore. The property itself seemed steeped in death. Multiple people took their own lives hanging from the trees in the property. Another soul, in a moment of despair, consumed poison, and in a twist of fate that defies explanation, at least four men, as if claimed by the land itself, mysteriously froze to death. Now, as we peel back all these layers of time, we come across the tale of Bathsheba, a name that would become a crucial part of the Perrin family story. Her connection to the house was shrouded in mystery and rumor, and yet, it adds another layer of complex tapestry to the haunted property. Now, Bathsheba's life was filled in the lore of the 19th century and marked by rumors that would outlive her to this day. Born in Rhode Island in 1812, she was a figure who commanded both attention as well as what some would say would be fear. It was in Thompson, Connecticut, where a path would turn towards the gruesome. 
The tale of Bathsheba Sherman is a crucial thread in the very fabric of the Perrin family's haunting. Born as Bathsheba Thayer in Rhode Island in 1812, her life was intertwined with mysteries and dark rumors. In 1844, she married Judson Sherman in Thompson, Connecticut. That's where they settled into the farm life. They even employed a farmhand to assist. Now, their life, however, took a very grim turn with the death of their infant daughter, Julia. The baby's demise was not just tragic, but shrouded in horror. She was found with a piercing wound at the base of her skull, suspected to be inflicted by a knitting needle. The finger of suspicion pointed at Bathsheba, accusing her of witchcraft and the vilest of deeds, sacrificing her child to the devil in exchange for eternal beauty. Now, these whispers of diabolical rituals haunted Bathsheba. Though, there was no evidence that could prove her guilty. The town buzzed with gossip, painting her as a witch devoted to the dark arts. Now, adding to this grim aura, two more of her children, Edward and George, never saw past their seventh birthday, which obviously fueled additional speculation about her supposed wickedness. Amidst these tragedies, Bathsheba's life continued in the shadows. Another infant in her care belonging to a neighbor also met a very mysterious end. Now, these successive deaths only cemented the proof of her evil in the community's eyes. But Bathsheba's story doesn't end with her life. Her death in 1885 was as mysterious as her life. Some would say she hung herself from a tree on the property, which cemented her legend as the farmhouse's history. Others speak of a bizarre paralysis, a condition so strange it left her body rigid as stone. Perhaps a fulfillment her alleged pact with the devil. In a photograph taken shortly before her death, Bathsheba stands isolated, her gaze averted amidst a group of people. Her expression is vacant, her face mostly hidden behind a mask, possibly to protect against rampant disease of the time. But it is an eerie image that captures the essence of her mystique and aura of dread that surrounded her. Bathsheba and Justin Sherman, along with her three deceased children, rest in the historic Baptist Cemetery in Harrisville, Rhode Island. Now, with all that in mind, it does make me question a few things about the demeanor of Bathsheba. If she was truly a witch, would they have buried her in a Baptist cemetery? Was she really a malevolent witch of the lore? Or was she merely a woman accused of evil by the whispers of her time? The mystery is why the Perrin family, particularly Carolyn, came to believe that Bathsheba's spirit was a source of the malevolent haunting in the farmhouse. Her resentment, particularly to women like Carolyn, was thought to stem from the loss of beauty that she never regained, a beauty she supposedly sought through a dark past with the devil. Now let's pivot back our gaze to the Perrin family, standing on the edge of their new life in the storied farmhouse. Imagine, they have their keys in their hands, hearts filled with hope, but unknowingly stepping into the whispers of this past. The warning to keep the lights on, you know that hung in the air, was a cryptic message that would soon reveal its dire significance. As the days turned into nights, the farmhouse began to reveal its true nature. Now the Perrin family would soon face a challenge that would be an absolute blow to their lives. A burst pipe led to a devastating flood, one that damaged their business and forced them to make a very difficult decision. To repair the damage, they had to sell a significant portion of their land, reducing their once vast 200-acre estate to a mere 8.5 acres. 
Now, this tragedy only escalated the strange occurrences that would follow the family. Carolyn, obviously the mother of the household, was the first to notice the anomalies that she couldn't brush aside. Her broom, something that she would use on the daily, became a symbol of the unexplained. She would leave it in one place, only to find it elsewhere. Sometimes, that would come with the sound of a scraping noise against the kettle. The bristles sweeping across the floor. These occurrences were just the beginning. The daughters also began to experience things within the new house. Andrea the eldest had her own room, a space that she thought was her own sanctuary. Yet even here, the unexplained made his presence felt. The younger sisters, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April shared rooms, and they too found themselves caught in a web of strange occurrences. Cindy in particular found her toys constantly moved or hidden, initially brushed off as just her siblings pulling like pranks. But the reality soon dawned on the sisters. Something unseen was at play. It was misplacing belongings. There was mysterious noises and a growing sense of unease. These occurrences sowed seeds of discord amongst the once close-knit sisters leading to arguments. Carolyn witnessed the growing tension and she stepped in. But she was unable to shake the feeling that the things that were happening were just a coincidence. Very shortly after, the girls began to see apparitions. Now these entities at first, they seemed very friendly. A young boy lost in time wandering through the house aimlessly. Then, there was a spirit of a woman who visited Cindy and April's room. She would even put a kiss on Cindy's forehead. The Conjuring movie depicted these early interactions almost as though the entities were evil right from the very beginning. At a minimum, they were tricksters, but the true events in the parent household was way more innocent, almost comforting to a degree in the beginning, with the girls viewing these apparitions as ghostly playmates. But as it often happens in the tales like these, the line between the playful and the perilous begins to blur. The once harmless pranks of the spirits escalated. Objects weren't just moved. They were thrown with force. And doors didn't just close. They were slammed shut with anger. The once comforting presence of these spirits turned malevolent. Amidst the growing unease was a game that stood out. Both in their lives and in the Conjuring movie. It's a game called Hide and Clap. and had very simple rules. The person who was it was blindfolded. Obviously, they were cloaked in a world of darkness. The others would hide, and when the person who was it claps, everyone else must clap back. The goal was for the person who was it to find the others only by sound, but the real-life game played by the girls had its own scary moment, particularly for Cindy during one such game, she chose to hide in the woodshed. Believing that she found the perfect spot, she climbed into an old wooden box. She covered herself with a panel, hiding spot that she thought no one would ever find. As the game went on, something truly terrifying happened. The panel that Cindy so easily covered herself with became immobile, trapping her inside the box. Obviously, without any kind of surprise, she freaked out. Her screams initially muffled, but eventually she drew the attention of her sister Nancy, and Nancy came to her rescue. The relief of being freed was overshadowed by the realization that this was no ordinary game anymore. Something or someone 
had changed the rules. This marked a turning point. The spirits in the house, once seen as harmless or maybe even playful, were showing a different, more malevolent side. It was a clear sign that the haunting of the Perrin family was evolving, becoming something far more sinister. When the girls brought these terrifying encounters to their parents, they were met with skepticism. Both Roger and Carolyn couldn't fathom the reality their daughters were living in. Now in the movie The Conjuring, things were a little bit different. The parents acknowledged the presence from their daughters a little easier, but in real life, the parent household acceptance of Supernatural came at a slower, much more reluctant pace. Now this skepticism wasn't unique to just the parent family. It's a pretty common thread in many true haunting stories where the supernatural is often met with disbelief. The children are typically more open and vulnerable, and they become the first to witness otherworldly entities. As the days in the old farmhouse turned weeks and then months, the parent family found themselves no longer questioning the reality of the situation. The paranormal activity that their daughters had been speaking of, once dismissed as mere child's play, began to reveal themselves to Roger and Carolyn in a far more disturbing manner. Roger, returning home after working all day, would not be greeted by the warmth of a family home, but by the overwhelming stench of rotting flesh. Now this foul odor, a stark contrast to the comfort of home, would hit him as soon as he opened the door. It was as if the unseen decaying presence lingered just beyond sight. Amidst the creaks and the whispers of the old farmhouse, Carolyn's experiences began to take a darker turn. One morning, as dawn barely broke the night's hold, a chilling encounter unfolded. She awoke to the sensation of a presence, an ominous figure moving across the room. There, in the dim light, stood a tall woman. In an old gray dress, her head grotesquely crooked to the side, curls swaying like cobwebs in the wind. Now this ghostly apparition wasn't merely a fleeting shadow, it was an omen, a ghostly harbinger of doom. The spirit's voice, echoing like a sinister threat, demanded that Carolyn and her family leave the house, or face a curse that would drive them with dread and with despair. But the terror didn't end with visions and ghostly warnings. Carolyn's encounters escalated to physical manifestations. She began to feel unexplained pinches on her skin, and at times, an invisible force would slap her across the face. These assaults caused an increased state of fear and anxiety within the family. The once serene and composed Carolyn found herself oppressed by harrowing visions. She saw images of fire, not mere flicks of light, but ominous signs foretelling danger. The house, it seemed, it was communicating a warning as clear as day, a warning to leave, to escape the impending doom. But it wasn't just visions that haunted Carolyn. Objects, personal and meaningful, began to vanish as if swallowed by the house itself. The once playful and benign spirits that the girls had befriended were now replaced by entities far more sinister and malevolent. Now up to this point, the parent family had been in the dark about the true history of their home. Compelled by the unnerving experiences, Carolyn delved into the past of the farmhouse and what she uncovered. It only deepened their fear. The house was a chronicle of tragedy and death, a storied past marked by seven verified deaths within its walls. But this isn't the first time that this was ever told to a member of the house. 
Cindy told Andrea about a disembodied voice that whispered a very grisly secret about seven bodies buried in the walls. Now this eerie revelation mirrored the grim history that they had just uncovered, intertwining the present with the haunted past. And then there was Manny, a ghost that haunted the girl's bedroom. Now this entity with a crooked, unnerving smile just stood silently, an ever-watching presence. The very idea of waking up to find such a figure looming in the corner is enough to chill anyone's soul. Imagine sitting in your living room, only to witness furniture begin to slide across the floor as if pushed by unseen hands. Doors and windows once secure now opened and slammed shut with a violent force, defying any attempt to close them. The parents, they lived in a constant state of uncertainty, never knowing what object would move next. But it wasn't just the inanimate objects that bore the brunt of the haunting. The very walls of the house seemed to come alive with a sinister intent. Picture frames hanging one moment would suddenly crash to the floor the next, their glass shattered into a thousand pieces. One of the most chilling occurrences involved an ordinary orange in the kitchen. Imagine the family's horror when it began to ooze blood, a terrifying transformation that defied explanation. And every morning, at precisely 5.15 a.m., the house would fill with a nauseous stint of rotting flesh and death, a sensory assault that jolted everyone awake. The nights, they brought no escape. A malevolent spirit seemed to have fixated on the five girls. He would tug at their legs and hair as they lay in bed, turning their dreams into things of nightmares. Eight-year-old Cindy, she became the target of another spirit that whispered about dead soldiers buried within the walls. Now the haunting voices, they weren't confined to whispers. The house echoed with cries of, Mama, Mama, shattering the silence of the night. Another voice would ominously command, Get out, sending chills down their spine. Cindy and her sisters, driven by fear, would often run to Andrea's room. They would huddle together, trembling and terrified by what the night might continue to bring. But the true extent of their torment remained a very close guarded secret within the family. The experiences were so deeply disturbing that they would never fully disclose them. Andrea hinted at a dark, much more sinister truth. Now, I'm not going to cover that in this podcast. I don't even want to think about it on this podcast. Now, amidst these terrifying occurrences, some nights witnessed an even more alarming phenomena. Beds with the children in them would levitate several inches off the floor. An unseen force, powerful and malevolent, seemed to be at play. The very foundations of the house appeared to be under control of something dark. The basement of the farmhouse, with its dirt floors and oppressive atmosphere, became a place of dread. Roger, when forced to check the malfunctioning heating system, would descend cautiously, feeling the weight of a dark, stinking presence behind him. The family came to believe that this was the domain of the most evil of the spirits, a malevolent entity that seemed to be the source of the chilling occurrences. As the parent family's experiences with the unexplained intensified, a family friend, Barbara, connected with a local paranormal group since their overwhelming stress. She knew exactly who could help, Ed and Lorraine Warren. These names would soon become a beacon of hope for the Perrin family. In October of 1973, 
Barbara urged Carolyn to attend a lecture by the Warrens. The encounter marked a turning point. Carolyn, driven by desperation, approached Ed and Lorraine. She detailed the eerie happenings in their home, the unexplained phenomena that defied logic. Now, though I highly doubt it, for anyone that is unfamiliar with Ed and Lorraine Warren, these were no ordinary investigators. They were absolute legends in the realm of the paranormal. Ed, who was a self-taught demonologist, and his partner, Lorraine, she was a psychic medium clairvoyant with an innate connection to the other side. Together, the two of them founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, one of the oldest paranormal investigation groups in New England. Now, initially, Carolyn, she was hesitant. Who would believe such an extraordinary tale? And Roger, her husband, was skeptical, worried about the implications of their involvement. Upon their first visit to the farmhouse, a moment that would be forever etched in the books of paranormal history, Lorraine Warren stepped into the kitchen and felt an immediate dark presence. With a certainty that sent chills right down Carolyn's spine, Lorraine uttered, I feel a dark presence, and her name is Bathsheba. Carolyn's research in the house's grim past suddenly aligned with Lorraine's revelation. The name Bathsheba now seemed linked to the haunting that tormented the Perrin family. Roger, though weary of the Warrens, could not deny the mounting evidence. The strange happenings in their home were beyond mere coincidence. Now Ed and Lorraine conducted thorough investigations, interviewing each family member separately, searching for any inconsistencies, yet the stories align painting a picture of a haunting that was as real as it was terrifying. Ed and Lorraine's belief in the family's experiences and their offer to help with no charge was a glimmer of hope amidst the darkness. With Lorraine's affirmation, a chilling reality settled upon Carolyn. It wasn't just figments of imagination, an evil entity named Bathsheba haunted their home. This realization was both a breakthrough as well as a burden. The hauntings were real, and they were malevolent. Now Carolyn's encounter with Bathsheba, they turned increasingly sinister. On one occasion while resting on the couch, an unexplained and agonizing pain seized her calf. She found herself bleeding profusely, but there was no visible cause for the injury. But the wound was very eerily specific. A perfect circle, as if made by a knitting needle. The chilling detail echoed the dark history of Bathsheba, who was rumored to have used the knitting needle and heinous acts. The pain and fear were not just physical, but psychological. Carolyn felt as if Bathsheba was trying to possess her, to break her sanity. It was as if Bathsheba wanted the parents out of her domain by any means necessary. Meanwhile, Roger's skepticism faced its own challenge. Unlike Carolyn's torment, Bathsheba's interactions with him took an unnerving turn. She became a succubus to Roger, offering tender caresses and soft whispers. This bizarre twist added a completely different layer of complexity to an already difficult situation. The Warrens, despite their best intentions, found themselves in a paradox. Their presence and efforts to investigate seemed to only aggravate the spirits further. The family began to feel every attempt to confront the haunting only fueled the dark forces residing within their home. Now, Andrea, she had a very disturbing theory. She believed that Bathsheba harbored a sinister desire for her father, Roger, and she would go to any lengths to achieve it. This included causing harm to her mother. Now, local historians, they later collaborated Bathsheba's malevolent nature. 
recounting her cruelty towards farmhands during her lifetime. Now, as the Warrens' involvement deepened, so did the darkness within the farmhouse. The entity that was Bathsheba, once a mere ghost story, had become a living nightmare for the Perrin family. Every creak in the night, every unexplained chill, was a reminder of the presence that sought to claim their home and their lives. Now, despite the Warrens' deep faith in their arsenal of holy relics, prayers, and rituals, they faced a very difficult challenge in the parents' home. The evil spirits, particularly Bathsheba, refused to be banished. Now, the Warrens' next step was bold, perhaps desperate. It was a seance conducted in the most haunted part of the house, the basement. Now, this ritual aimed to establish direct communications with the spirits. It was an attempt to understand, to negotiate, and perhaps even cast out the entities. Now, the seance at the parents' farmhouse escalated to levels of intensity that no one could have anticipated. The Warrens, in their determination to confront the malevolent forces, enlisted additional help. A priest, another medium, and a technical crew. The atmosphere was heavy with anticipation and dread. Now, the children, they were deemed too young and vulnerable for such an intense encounter, and they were barred from attending. Yet, curiosity and fear led Andrea and Cindy to the top of the basement stairs where they secretly witnessed the events unfold, and what they saw was beyond the realm of understanding. Lorraine, attempting to communicate with the spirits, inadvertently triggered a violent reaction, and Carolyn, she became the unwilling vessel of the otherworldly force. Speaking in tongues, they thought perhaps Latin, and her voice twisted as something unrecognizable, something, something inhumane. The scene that unfolded was like a nightmare come to life. Carolyn levitated, her body contorted in unnatural ways, as if controlled by an invisible puppeteer. Now, Andrea and Cindy, they just watched, paralyzed with horror as their mother was flung across the room. The experience left Andrea deeply shaken and fearing for her own life. The ordeal lasted for hours, with Carolyn's body becoming subject to unspeakable torment. When it finally ended, and Carolyn returned to her senses, the aftermath was unfathomable. Roger witnessing his wife's suffering was filled with a mixture of fury and helplessness. In a decisive moment fueled by both anger and fear, Roger demanded the Warrens leave their home. Despite their intentions, their presence only seemed to intensify the haunting. And so, with heavy hearts and unresolved questions, Ed and Lorraine departed the farmhouse. They left with a chilling belief the farmhouse, it harbored a portal in the basement, a gateway that allowed these malevolent spirits to manifest. Although unproven, this theory added another layer of mystery to the already mysterious house. But the family's ordeal, it was far from over. After the seance, the Warrens never returned to the parents' residence. Despite their extensive experience and efforts, they were unable to alleviate the family's suffering. It was a sombering reminder of the limits of human understanding in the face of supernatural. Now for the family, the haunted farmhouse wasn't just a temporary ordeal. It became a decade-long saga of fear and uncertainty. They were ensnared, they were stuck, not just by the eerie walls of the house, but the circumstances that made it impossible for them to leave. Financially, they just couldn't afford to leave. As time passed, each of the parents' sisters found their way out of the house, seeking a normal life away from the shadows that lurked in their childhood home. Andrea, the eldest, she sought refuge in the halls of college, while Cindy, once she graduated, 
quickly left behind the room that she once thought was the least haunted. It wasn't until 1980, a full decade after moving in, that Roger and Carolyn could finally sell the house. They left Rhode Island, heading to Georgia, in hopes of leaving behind the ghosts and the nightmares that had plagued them. Now, the parents believed that during their time in the house, they coexisted with up to nine different entities. Imagine sharing your home with the unseen entities, each one with their own story, its own reason for lingering in the mortal realm. In the aftermath of the family's experiences, it became the subject of fascination, and, as we all know, it made its way to Hollywood. The Conjuring, a film based on the Warrens files, became a sensational hit, grossing millions and spawning a franchise. Now, obviously, this fame came with skepticism. Many questioned the stories of the Warrens' investigation in the family. Andrea Perrin, however, she stood firm in her belief. She authored House of Darkness, House of Light, a book series chronicling the experiences in the farmhouse. Now, her narratives offer a more personal and unfiltered account than those that was depicted in the movie, revealing the depths of the haunting encounters. Now, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, it's important to note that the Perrin family story isn't just about ghosts and about hauntings. It's about the resilience of a family, their journey through a decade of fear, and their eventual escape to start anew. Now, as we turn the page on the Perrin's family chapter, the house itself continues to weave an eerie tale. Now, you might say to yourself, what's become of the infamous farmhouse after the Perrin's left? Well, the house, a character in its own right, saw a series of new owners. Each brought their own experiences, their own encounters, and the unexplained. The house, it appears, it hasn't finished revealing all of its secrets. But maybe we'll leave that for another time. As for today, the farmhouse stands as more than just a building. It's a symbol of the unexplained. A beacon for those that seek to understand the mysteries of the afterlife. It's a reminder that some stories don't end. They simply evolved, taking on new forms as they pass from one generation to the next. And that, my friends, is the twisted and eerie saga of the Perrin family. A tale where the reality blurred with the unknown, and everyday life intertwined with the paranormal. Now, as we close this chapter, remember, not all hauntings are confined to the old houses or fog-laden graveyards. Sometimes, the most gripping stories are those that lurk beneath the surface of everyday reality. Speaking of, if you enjoyed this journey into the supernatural with retraced echoes, I have another recommendation that might intrigue your curious minds. Join me with my co-host, Nick, on our other podcast called Deceptive Reality. Together, we delve into the most perplexing and unexplained mysteries. Each episode, a deep dive into the mysteries that defy the understanding of the world. From historical puzzles to contemporary oddities, deceptive reality is your gateway to the unknown. Now today, as we part ways, remember, the shadows of the past always linger, sometimes hidden, sometimes revealed but always part of the tapestry of our experience. Stay curious, stay vigilant, and who knows what secrets you might uncover in the deceptive reality of our world. Until next time, this is Bert, signing off. Whatever you do for the sake of your family, maybe tonight, keep the lights on. Until we meet again, goodbye.